Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession, business exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Andrea Hoig. Andy is the owner and publisher of Metro Magazine and Midlands Business Journal. Andy and I have been friends for a very long time. While we had known each other for a fairly long time when I opened my business, that's the moment that we got to know each other better. She came to my office one day, and I'll never forget, she came to talk to me about advertising, but the conversation went in a whole lot of different directions. And first, I was just impressed with the way that she presented advertising as an opportunity in a way that nobody had presented it before. And then we got to talking about things like, you know, our fathers who we both stepped into businesses that our fathers did. But the other thing is we're really passionate about is we both have a a fascination and just a passion for well-being in general. So, but today I asked Andy to join me to talk about the challenges, because both of our dads were legends in their industry, were really well-known, really well-respected. Each of us stepped into their, you know, their business in a slightly different way, 
And one day we were having a conversation about how difficult it can be to be the child of a legend. And so that's what I asked Andy to talk to me about today. And thanks for joining me, Andy. Well, Mary, first of all, um, yeah, thank you so much. What what a great opportunity and what a what a interesting um subject as well, because you know, like you said, both of our fathers were legends and um, I know we'll dive into some some you know deeper questions, but uh, but first of all, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here. So thank you, thank you. It's totally a joy to have you. Can you start off briefly by just telling us who your dad was and talk about the business that he did build? Absolutely. So my father, Robert Bob Hoig, everybody called him Bob, um, uh, founder of Midlands Business Journal. Uh, the business journal um, came to be in 1975. And um, just a little bit about my dad. Um, you know, he didn't start out in the journalism um, business. He he just happened kind of upon it, becoming a copy boy um, for the for the global news in um, in New York City. And uh, I might I might be totally screwing up what that what that was the Daily News back back in the day, but. In 1975, he founded Midland's Business Journal, and he had this vision after working with the World Herald and working at like the Miami News and and different places around the country. He really had this passion for sharing stories about small business and the importance that they play in any community. And I'll just say that the story, I think one of my favorite stories is how he was sitting around with his friends at the Omaha Press Club, you know, back in the 1974, early 1975, and said, I've got this great idea for a weekly newspaper. And the guys he was with said, you're insane. That's never going to work. There's not enough business stories in in the community in Omaha. And there's not enough advertising. Um, This is never going to fly. And of course, a lot of times when people tell us that there's no way that we can ever do something that that just kind of fuels the fire to do it. And here we are close to um, going to be celebrating 50 years in um, 2025 that um, he proved them wrong. And he did prove them wrong because with my dad as a lawyer legend, when I was growing up, the Midlands Business Journal was part of what we saw every single day. My dad would walk home for dinner with the Midlands Business Journal on the top of his pile, right? It was just kind of funny. Yes. So, yeah. So, and I, I didn't like give you a heads up on this question, but I just have to say, speaking of that, so what was it like growing up in your home with your dad as he built that business? Well, I think, you know, as a lot of children, um, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I didn't really know what he was doing, you know, to be honest with you. Um, but what I do know um, is that we would, that I would go to the office, I would stuff envelopes you know, for renewals. Um, I would go and, and clean the office. And I mean, that was like my first job, but, but really knowing what he did, I I wasn't quite, I wasn't quite sure. And um, all I know is that he worked, I mean, he worked really hard and he, he loved what he did. And um, you just kind of don't put the two and two together until once you, you know, get a little bit along in life and later as a teenager and then early twenties is when I actually dived into the business. 
um, and started playing an active role that um, you're like, wow, this is what this is what he does. But I think that stuffing envelopes and cleaning, and I actually sorted time cards was the other one. But I always joke and say, well, I know every aspect of the business because the first job I had, which I think was my dad trying to keep me from getting in trouble in high school or something, but was cleaning the floors at his office, which I'm like, and then you come find a spot and you'd have to do a little bit more. Well, can we talk about, so you started getting into the business in your twenties, which isn't, you know, too far from your childhood. So even though what you recall is stuffing envelopes and, and cleaning at the office, you obviously had enough awareness of the business in general that you started looking at that path. Can you just speak a little bit to your background? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, I mean, I graduated you know, from high school and I actually didn't go to college. I, I jumped right into the family business, um, which was like one of my jobs. I had I had multiple jobs, but but that was the main one and really got uh, actually into the sales piece of it uh, first. And I was out on sales appointments and selling advertising. Like you said, I can't I can't remember the year that we that we actually connected where I was selling you advertising and I'm glad you, you know, thought I did a great job because (laughs) I was trained in it by, by any means, but, but it was just, um, then I also did photography. Um, so sales and photography, because I do want to mention, I was not the writer as, as a lot of people look at, at a publisher as being the writer. I was the photographer and that's really where in the publishing, you know, media business, I love the photography side of things. And that was back in the day too, where you go out, you take photographs, you'd come back, you develop your own film, you print your own photos, and you had hands-on experience in that way that, um, that it really wasn't from a writing perspective that, that I entered the field, so to speak. So it's stuffing envelopes and cleaning and then advertising and sales and the photography, all of which, you know, seen some of each. I, I can't speak to the cleaning piece. Your house is always beautiful, though. But so, you know, can you talk about moving into the Metro magazine? Yeah. So, you know what? First of all, my father was amazing. And, um, you know, we might, you know, we can chat a little bit on the, the later in life because he passed away in 2019. But back in, in my 20s, um, I can't imagine, I was not the easiest um, person to be around and, and, and put up with. Um, we had a lot of kind of rebellion. I actually, as, as later in life, when I had these conversations with my father a few years ago, I think it's because we were so much alike so much alike is is why we kind of butted heads, so to speak, um, in those early, you know, my early 20s. Um, so how how me owning uh, Metro Magazine came around is that uh, my dad started a, a weekly publication, or no, I'm sorry, a monthly publication called um, Omaha Metro Update. And honestly, okay, sorry, I'm going to go back. It was a weekly, it's so funny, everything kind of blends together. So in addition to Midlands Business Journal, Omaha Metro Update was a weekly publication that actually had a charitable focus on it. So we would go out and cover charity events. That's a lot of what I did as a photographer. And it then changed to Metro Monthly. 
Um, and about five years into it, he, um, one of the things my dad did, and I actually see that pattern in me, you start a lot of things and if they don't work out, you just, you know, you just move into a different direction. And from his eyes, Metro Monthly was not, it just wasn't going where he desired it to go. So he, he brought everybody together and said, um, you know, we're not going to be continuing on with, with this monthly newspaper. I said, um, well, why don't I buy it? So kind of what transpired from that is that he sold it to me for a dollar. And I literally kind of took, um, at that time, it was when you did everything on layout, layout sheets. So I took my pica pole, my light table, um, copies of what we did last month, because I was not in the design piece of it. And I sat down and literally looked at what we had done the last you know month or two months and took over the design aspect of it. And just that kind of started my journey on being a publisher. Um, and again, not really knowing what the heck I was doing in some areas and knowing what I was doing in others. But um, yeah, it kind of started from a very, and I was doing it my, in my little apartment um, is where it was all happening, except for the printing, of course. And was it just you at first? It was me. I did have, what, what I did have was writers because I was not doing the writing piece. But for the most part, I did everything else. Were you um, actually going out and covering the events yourself and doing the pictures? Yeah. Okay, and so what I recall, and I don't remember where in the where in the time frame this was, but it used to be like the MBJ on the mm-hmm. newspaper, newsprinty, yeah. and while the content was interesting, the presentation was sort of average, right? It was like a... And then part of what you did was change it into this really beautiful magazine that is like a showpiece to pick up or to have set in a reception area or anything like that. What was your inspiration for doing that? I think that's part of that entrepreneurial piece that I had that knowing and also seeing a vision for something greater, because I I remember going from all black and white to then having color on the cover and then having a gloss cover and then having this and having that. I always saw something greater for what this could be. And I just kept like what leveling up a little bit, you know, over the years and what then turned into a a beautiful mag, I mean, magazine. So uh, just getting inspiration from, I think the beauty around all of us and just knowing that, what what else is possible with what I'm doing? Even though I wasn't even asking myself that question back then. It kind of, I almost, sometimes you feel like, especially as a, a woman or an entrepreneur in general and running a business that you just know you can do something better and it can, it can be different because doing the same thing just was never anything I had any interest in. I always wanted to keep switching things up. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. 
Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So let's go to just talking a little bit about as you stepped into the Metro, so you're essentially taking this publication on in the same community in which you're dad is still actively running the Midlands Business Journal. Everybody knows your dad. Everybody knows what your dad does, at least in certain communities, right? And it's a pretty sure. small, it's a, I call Omaha as a, a small, big community, right? Yeah, and so what would you describe as any challenges that you might have felt as like, well, I'm not doing exactly what my dad is doing, but my dad actually sort of had this idea and didn't like it. And so now I'm doing it. And what are the expectations from my dad? And, and maybe what are the expectations from others in the community because they know what my dad did? Did you have any sense of that? And what did you deal with in that regard? That, first of all, that's a great question. And, and I am, you know, you kind of go back in your, your head in history um, for, for decades, um, cause, cause Metro, Metro is over 30 years, you know, over 30 years, I think 32 years, um, going on Metro, like I said, MBJ 50, but people didn't know, people didn't know that I owned Metro or some people thought that, you know, I still worked for MBJ. I mean, people didn't have a lot of, um, didn't really know the facts specifically, um, you know, for, for, for some time and often for, forever. They always thought that we were together like this. And part of me really wanted to let people know that, Hey, I'm doing this on my own. I, you know, nobody's paying me over at MBJ. I'm, you know, I'm supporting this publication and myself and the advertising piece is that supporting what, you know, what this publication is and how it contributes to the community. Um, so it's just interesting that, and again, when I went out on my own, you know, I, I wanted to prove my father that I could do this um, because I don't think he thought, we actually had a conversation later in life. He, he didn't think I was going to, he didn't think I could do it. Um, he was half expecting me to fail. And that's not a negative at all against him. Um, honestly, if I was him and looking at, how I was doing things back in my early twenties or twenties. I mean, I potentially think the same thing, but I really wanted to prove to him and probably more so myself that I could do this. And, but the expectations I think were more coming from me and not necessarily from him and not necessarily, necessarily the community. Cause I really became a part of a community that I had never been a part of. And um, the whole philanthropic piece. Um, cause I went to every single charity event and I was there and, um, that like was my family, so to speak, um, from, a from a publishing side. I mean, I, people expected me to be there and there were times when I was, I had pneumonia, I was sick as can be, um, that I showed up and took pictures um, I didn't have enough money to put in my gas tank. So I, I found change in the sofa. 
um, so I could go shoot um, a black tie charity event. You know, you kind of do what you need to do. And I think I kind of went all over the place with this question, Mary. So I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the one thing you said that I thought was like a really significant point. Cause part of the reason we wanted to do this podcast is you yeah. represent a lot of businesses where family members are coming yeah. in and taking over. And sometimes those family members, they're kids that are in their fifties and you see the dynamics still a parent and child, even though they may have done all kinds of great things as an adult. And so yeah. I think that what you said that I think hits all of us, whether we're, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever the case comes in is that if we have a parent who was a legend that there's these self expectations so that yeah. when I asked the question, I did that intentionally trying to see if that's where you go. And that's exactly what you said. You know, you're well accepted in the community as far as the charitable community, I'd say well loved by many in that regard. And, you know, whether or not and what our dad expected, and that's interesting that you say that really wasn't, we grew up in this with a successful dad and as that, we had high expectations of ourselves. So that, and also having known you a little bit, I know how high your expectations are of yourself. So as you pursued that path, how did you take those expectations and say, you know, I'm not my dad. I'm me. Who I am is okay. And I'm going to find my own path and my own authentic self on this path. Could you describe, you know, potentially any of the steps or parts of the journey that helped you to do that? Because I think you're there today. Yeah. And, and honestly, it has been a journey. And, you know, I would think for a lot of it, um, I did not ask for help. And I was trying to prove it. I was trying to just do everything on my own which may or may have not been the right, um, may or may not have been the right, you know, decision, but that's, but that's the path. And really looking at, um, you know, you had, have to ask yourself questions over the years, you know, who am I and what, what is this piece? What is for me, the publication? And I think that's one of the reasons I kept changing it because I knew um, and this may have been like on a um, unconscious level that I'm doing things that kept differentiating me from my dad. Some of the changes that you made, you may have seen as because you were trying to prove something to your dad. But really, as a person who's known you for quite a long time, you're actually very entrepreneurial. But I think if we grow up with a dad who's very successful, we might take, as we develop our own path, might not even see our own entrepreneurial skill. We might see that as that we're trying to live up to our dad. I think you today recognize that you're actually very entrepreneurial. I heard you say it early during this podcast, right? No, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I actually thought I was, I was not a big, uh, I was not a good business owner. Um, I wasn't, didn't really know how to run a business. I knew how to be out building relationships. Um, and there's a lot of things that I did on purpose or not on purpose that were the complete opposite 
of what my dad would have done in regards to running a business. Um, and I think that's interesting when we when we do look at that or when I actually look at that. And I had a conversation with him again later in life that um, I was not going to be like my dad. I was determined not to be like my dad, but I was also determined to be like him. So you've got this conflicting piece over here where you're not going to do that, but but then you also want to do that. And I think as a woman and as a daughter, that's probably potentially a little bit different than if I was the son. I think that's true. And, you know, I went so far as when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, hiring a career counselor and telling them, and she reminded me that when I walked in, I said, well, you know, you can tell me any potential career path, but the one thing I'm not going to do is what my dad did. And so don't even begin to tell me that. So when I came back and this career counselor said, well, I'm just going to tell you there's one career that comes out so far ahead of anything else that you might be good at and be a good fit for, but you told me you didn't want to do it. So I'll go to things two and three. I was like, well, wait a minute, what? And basically, and so I think some of the, some of that maybe is, is a natural inclination, but one of the things I was kind of hearing as you were talking that I also think is really important for those who come into family businesses to hear it, and maybe I'm going to say this a little differently than you said it, but that what, even in part of that, where we fought, oh, we don't want to do what our dad did. And, you know, oh, you know what? I really love doing what my dad did. But the other piece of that is that they've also were our dads. And so they were our heroes yeah. And it becomes a point where we have to look at them realistically and say, my dad did these things really, really well, but wow, here are some things that I can do. Just like thinking about taking over the Metro. He's like, oh, that's not going to succeed, Andy. And you took it and made it into this beautiful piece that still exists today. And by the way, I love the online version of it as a person who's edited some magazines and been involved in making platform decisions, I actually always say, go look at the Metro because whatever they're doing and using, they're doing that right. But do you think if you looked at that and said, mm, okay, there's some things my dad did that are really great. Might, might be a couple of those things that you ultimately incorporated. And then to the extent you started to distinguish and differentiate yourself, how did you make that separation? And that's kind of a hard question. So wherever you want to go with it. Well, one of the things that when I look at my dad um, and how he was running his business, um, and I think from the employee aspect too, he had he had employees and he's still, I mean, even though I'm, I mean, I now own MBJ, there's people there that have been there for 10, 15 years. And what I look at how he had surrounded himself from an employee aspect, um, that's something I felt like I, I could never get right. Um, I wasn't the managing type um, and I was too nice. And, but again, I didn't ever want to be like my dad. And he, you know, he, he knew, he knew how to run a business. I felt like I had no idea how to run a business. So, um, so those were some things that he had done right. And again, I look at the publications that he has put out. Um, 
and he would take risks. And I never thought of myself as a risk taker until, well, until, you know, uh, we actually were having this conversation uh, again before he passed away that, wow, just, just going out there and doing it. Um, even though I thought those were completely two different things, they, we really had that in common. Does that, does that answer the question? It totally makes sense. And, and what I'm kind of hearing is there's some things that we see because how I would couch that is say, okay, one of the things, if we're talking to others who might step into family businesses. So one of the things that, mat- that really matters is to recognize that you may or may not have the exact same skills as the parent did. And what you have to look at is what skills do I have and I am really good at and what skills might I need to bring in a partner or somebody else to do? So if I'm not as good on the business end, then I need to make sure I have somebody who does that. If I'm great on the creative end, so it's you have to look at and assess that I don't have the exact same set of skills as my parent. And so when I structure this, part of how I structure this is not trying to do exactly what he did, but identifying the specific skills and how to, I was once told we should really like enhance our skills. And I think you and I have actually talked about this and damage control our weaknesses, because if we focus on our weaknesses, we uh, focus on the weaknesses that becomes our centerfold. So I look at and say, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm less skilled at and bring that in. And that's just one of the things I would tell somebody coming into a family business. Is that a fair way to maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're, when you're looking at coming into a family business, I mean, the family dynamics, I think it's even harder than just um, starting your own business on your own, because like you said, there's a lot of proving. um, And also me and my dad, we, I didn't really get this about myself, but we are visionaries. Um, I always looked at him as the visionary and I'm not a visionary. Um, but that's, that's something we definitely had in common. And I actually embraced that. Um, and I love that about my dad. I look back now and see how much we were alike. Um, but I really rejected that. So in a family business, I mean, the dynamics are different, whether you have a great relationship with the family members or you, or you don't, and there's conflict. Um, um, well, you know. sometimes Andy, isn't that, because as I hear you say that, I just have to tell you yeah. since the minute I've met you, visionary is a word I would apply to you because almost every conversation we've ever had, you've got a vision for this and you don't implement every single thing, but the part of being a visionary is running through ideas. And so what I'm thinking is I hear you say that within the family dynamics, you might not see that. I think you you do know that about yourself now, but that'd be, if we were talking to somebody else coming into a family business, might we say, seek some consultations from those that aren't part of the family who help you identify who you are separate from the family and what you bring? Yeah, absolutely. Because it can get really convoluted and, and you can there's dynamics there that you, that it's hard to separate. It's just hard to separate you as you with, with the, with the, the dynamic of the group. Um, I mean, family business, you gotta, I, my hats off to all people in family businesses because it's a hard, it's a hard road to go. But a lot of times 
um, God, it's so rewarding too. So what I know in terms of what I witnessed with you is that I think, you know, having worked on the Metro through the years, and I know it was a big debate for you, whether you're going to actually take on the Midlands Business Journal and follow that. You ultimately made the decision to do that. And I have the blessing of having heard some of your thoughts and visions about what you want to do with the MBJ. And so I was wondering if part of that is having stepped out, done the Metro, done some work to kind of separate and become your authentic self, see yourself as a visionary, see yourself as the entrepreneur that you are, makes it now possible to step back into the MBJ with your dad's passing. And I know that you have some plans and you're implementing a lot of very exciting changes. And I'm hoping you could just speak to that whole process a little bit. Yes, I would be happy to. Um, again, my dad passed away in January um, of 2019. And at that time, um, you know, there, you know, for at least a year, over a year, there were discussions of what was going to happen with MBJ, who was going to step into that role. I'm like, okay, I can step into that role. Um, but I mean, I'll just be brutally honest. Uh, at that time, MBJ has always been MBJ. I mean, it hadn't really changed a lot in, in the way it looked and what it was doing. And I was very hesitant to step into a business where nobody wanted anything to change. Um, that, first of all, didn't bring me a lot of joy. Um, because again, I'm a visionary and I'm creative and I and it's like, oh my gosh, we could do this and that. But there was just I just didn't feel like that was the direction that people wanted to go. And I, so I just, you know, I stepped back a little and when COVID hit um, and everything had to change, that's when I like stepped back into the ring and said, you know what? I would love, I mean, I want to do this. I can, I can see the future uh, of Midland's business journal. So COVID, as devastating as it has been for just for so many things, um, but but so many things have been created from from that. And just speaking to MBJ, I just thought, you know what? If we can change things up and we can make a bigger difference and do things different, I, I'm totally in. So that was the journey with that, and and you and we have. I mean, we. I mean, two years, we're, we're literally two years into when I became the owner, 100%, and a year into when I completely redesigned MBJ, um, and there's just so much more coming. It, it's Change is good. And it's exciting to watch. I think I've always said that's one yeah. of the reasons I love connecting with you because it's if it's a week or if it's a few months, change is a part of you, which is, you know, so many have challenged our challenges with change while you so embrace yeah. it in all areas. So we covered a few different things that might be helpful to those stepping into working in a family businesses. Are there any other tips that you might offer that we haven't yet mentioned to somebody stepping into a family business? You know, I think, um, Stepping into a family business, um, I think having patience and understanding and also listening. Listening is a, I mean, it's a huge part of any business, but um, 
from a family dynamic, really, you don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to, um, everybody in the family business does have a voice and, and, and knowing that regardless of where they are in, in the structure of the business, but being able to listen, um, I think that's probably a huge thing because a lot of times families don't listen to each other. And then you bring that into the, to a business setting. Um, it's even more, um, probably stressful because you have to let, you know, you're running a business and, and at the end of the day, you are running a business and what is the best possible choice decision for that business to grow? Um, it's not about you personally. It's like, what, what's going to create more in this business and asking those kind of questions versus how does this impact me? What's going to create the most for this business? And another part of our bond and friendship over the years has related to another topic I do on this podcast, which relates to well-being. And I have to yeah. share one other story with you because we've both done that journey in a different day, but how you were a significant motivator in me getting even more serious about well-being. And that was, and you know, I was doing yoga. I might've even been teaching at the same time, but we were at a lunch one time and and I was in a bad place, but I thought I was covering it up pretty well. And you looked at me and you said, I'm just feeling some really negative energy. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I thought I played poker better than that. And I was going, okay, I'm going to make sure that my energy is actually shifted before I meet with people in the future. But that was just another motivating, there's a, you know all those moments, but it's just one that I remember about you that helped me take my well-being to another level. As I've watched you, you know, you've lost two parents in fairly short order. You've been through some personal changes, some things that you've had going on. You are continuing with the Metro, and now you've taken on the MBJ. And so I just want to say, what are you doing for your own well-being and self-care at this moment to make that journey continue to be successful for you? Well, wow, Mary. Well, thank you for for um, sharing that story. Um, and also, I mean, I just think taking care of me is even more important than taking care of the business. And I mean, you know, we, we say that in different aspects of our life. But for me, um, I actually, I like to get up early. Um, and I get up several hours before I have to step into the business role. And I realize that you know, MBJ is very much an eight to five business. Um, but if I can get up in the morning and whether it's walking, just relaxing, um, business can be all consuming in a family business, unlike other businesses. Um, and really being able to remove yourself from that, um, it's challenging. And I, and I don't have it all figured out because I'm constantly thinking about business and a lot of it's really great stuff. So from a self-care aspect, find, find things that you love to do. Um, you know, I do a lot of races and walks, walks and runs, um, that brings community together. And it also just gets me out there moving. And I look at, I mean, I am, I belong to several different, you know, exercise places, so to speak, but I like being there. I like doing that type of exercise. So you really have to tap into what you enjoy, what your body enjoys doing and how it likes to move. 
and also what how your brain likes to be stimulated. So, and you really need to take time to to get to know you so that you can show up and be the best that you can be um, and then show up for your business and show up for also the employees that are not a part of your family and your business. I mean, they need you there um, as you and not the family dynamic. So um, yeah, it, it's, it takes a commitment to you. To, it's a challenging it, one, right? Yeah, it, it, it is, but it, but you have to be committed to you first, and then that commitment, you know, allows you to commit yourself to, you know, a successful business. Something I was taught very early in my career was to block out what I call my well-being time in my calendar, in a way that yeah, it yeah. could not be compromised. And I I have made that habit since the moment I started my career, and that's been what's helped me. Well, Andy, I really appreciate you joining me today. Do you have any last thoughts, anything you'd want to add? You know, I think the only thing I'm going to add, and I, and I say this often um, nowadays, but whether you're, whether it's your, your personal life or your business, always keep asking what else is possible? Because when you look at any business, evolving, changing, moving, you know, moving through life. I mean, you have to keep looking at what else is possible. And that actually just opens up space for your business to expand more, to, to do something that you never thought that, that it could do. So yeah, my final words is just keep asking what else is possible for me? What else is possible for my business? I ask that pretty much every day and stuff shows up that I'm like, wow, I didn't think of that, but that's a good one. I love that. Believe in possibility. Don't think about limitations. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank you again for joining me today, Andy. I also want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.